Good morning. Welcome back to the pulpit. Let's talk about grief. Well, any dog owner uh, is familiar with a very common experience, a dog panting for water. Uh, dogs easily get overheated, easily get exhausted, and their tongues just hang out till they hit the floor, and they attack their water bowl, lap, 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 until their thirst is quenched. We actually had a dog, a boxer, uh, name was Chloe, and uh, she had a sensitive stomach and would drink so ferociously and drink too much that she would then vomit it all back up again. Um, and this would happen over and over and over again every single time that she drank water. Uh, we would, for years, her entire life, every time she drank, she would go lap, 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 lap. We'd be like, Chloe, give her enough pause for a second. Uh, and then she would resume her drinking. And lap, 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 lap. Chloe, she'd pause for a second and continue, and this would go until her thirst was quenched. But it would keep her from vomiting, and we would do this for years. There's a thirst for dogs that need to, needs to be quenched by lapping at a water source. This, however, is not the experience of deer. Uh, deer actually rarely pant at all. In fact, they almost never drink from a direct water source. They get almost all of their water from uh, the food that they eat. There are really only two reasons why a deer would pant. One is that there's a drought and their water, uh, the water content of their food is, is, is low and they need to supplement. The second is that they fled so frantically from a predator that they want to do two things. One, they need to rehydrate. Um, but the second is that they want to wash their uh, bodies and their scents off so that they can escape from their predator. This is the only really two reasons why a deer seeks out a source of water. As you may have guessed, if you're familiar with your Bibles, today's text is Psalm 42 as a deer pants for water. This is a text for you, the sufferer. This is a text for you who have felt pursued by a predator of circumstances that has you desperate for escape, frantic for relief, and exhausted by sorrows. This is a text for you who, like me, have slept on a soggy pillow, silently laying there so as not to draw attention from your spouse or sibling, but all the while streams of tears puddle on your pillow. This is a text for you who, like me, have felt at literally any moment you could cry from heartache. All you'd have to do is stop for a moment and think again, about your pain. This is a text for you who, like me, have found yourself on the closet floor bawling and moaning and letting out guttural yells and pleas of sorrow to the Lord. This is a text for you who, like me, have let out screams of agony as you've been driving down the road and tears seem to just be unceasing. This is a text for you who have had, like me, or are in seasons 
where sorrows seem to roll with one crashing wave after another. You know the kind of waves that you don't see coming and blindside you and send you reeling and disoriented and you lose all semblance and idea of which way is up. And then as the moment your foot brushes the ground and gives you some semblance of orientation again, the second wave comes crashing again. This is a text for you who have waves that feel unceasing in their assault and sorrow darkens every day. Pleasure and happiness seem sucked out of life and you long for the days when you are happy in the Lord again. This is a text for you who, like me, have had sorrows so hard and so deep and so loud and so long. It is like the deafening sound of a waterfall that drowns out any words of comfort. This is a text for you who have endured, like my family, what has felt like a full frontal satanic attack on minds that have caused doubt and despair to whisper words of, where is your God? You couldn't possibly be his daughter, his son, and have such thoughts as you have. This is a text for you who, like me, are just desperate and panting for relief from the pursuit of your trials, and you just long to go and appear before God in heaven and be done with this life, who have actually prayed, God, take me home now. I've turned to this psalm so many times in my life. And so now let's turn to it together. But as we do, please stand for the reading of God's word. Um, Let's stand in humble reverence and respect. God is with us through his word, and he desires to speak. Let us not tune out, but do the important work of paying the most careful attention right now. Hear the words of the almighty king of the universe through his songwriter. As a deer pants for flowing streams... So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. And while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, Yahweh commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. 
I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. O loved Heavenly Father, you who catch every tear in a bottle and will one day wipe every tear away from your children's eyes, please hear the heartaches of your people this morning. O Jesus, in helping Holy Spirit, please intervene and intercede as we do not know what to pray for as we ought. As we groan through our hardships, thank you that you are there with us. With groans too deep for words, help us to hope in you. This is a psalm of lament. We will look briefly at what is meant by a lament and what is this psalm's intent and benefit. But before we go any further, please note the significance of a God-inspired, infallible scriptural text given to the purpose of the heart-honest grief of God's people. He wants us to feel the freedom to grieve deeply, to lament and mourn. There is a whole book of the Bible, after all, called Lamentations. Numerous are the songs in the book of Psalms dedicated to singing our grief to God. There are biblical principles of sitting in sackcloth and ashes that reveal it as appropriate and even right to have seasons of unrushed, lingering mourning over the unceasing hardships of the fallen, sin-cursed experience of living in this world. Life very often feels like one long dying experience. You are, after all, in the dying process from the moment you are born. Sometimes when circumstances seem unchanging, it's not death you fear, but it's the process of daily dying and what that might feel like physically, relationally, emotionally that you fear. The pain of the present, the likely pain of the future can, and scripture reveals in texts like this, even should cause us to grieve. The Bible is the most heart-honest book. It makes sense out of life and our experience in this world in a way that no other worldview does. It allows us to not have unrealistic rose-colored glasses because this world is indescribably, painfully broken. This is a psalm, a song of personal lament over circumstances, uncaused by personal failures or sins, but rather just ordinary experiences of the Christian trying to live faithfully. This psalm is a song of lament sung by the sons of Korah, 
but may still have been written by King David. It certainly feels like David. I felt that in my own readings of it, but then had Spurgeon agree that it smells like the son of Jesse. What is a lament? It is an expression of sorrow and grief, usually done in poetic verse or song. It is what our souls long to do when our hearts experience brokenness. We know deep down that we were made for paradise. We were made for Eden. And every hardship, every disappointment creates an aching, big or small, for things to be perfect again. We know intuitively that that's the way things were supposed to be. And we are so often confused and bewildered when they're not. Whenever tears fill your eyes from sorrow, it is your soul literally weeping for paradise lost. This is our shared experience. Parents, I'd encourage you to relate to your kids' disappointments with this understanding that though experiences of sorrow usually grow and deepen and get more severe the longer we live on this sin-stained globe, your kids are young in their experience, and the smallest of things in our minds uh, can send them reeling from disorientation because their souls know that they were made for paradise, and they're trying to make sense out of the feelings of loss, the experiences of loss. My own Anne of Green Gables loving daughter likes to refer to being thrown into the depths of despair. Uh, let's draw near to our children as fellow sufferers and apply the balm, the salve, the ointment of Psalm 42. Recently, when we were at Rancho, MJ received word that her most anticipated moment of the year, a getting to be near her bosom friend from New Jersey, was going to be canceled again. Uh, and I came alongside her as someone who has experienced many deep, disappointing, unmet expectations and, and hugged her and let her cry and even encouraged her to cry as many tears as she needed to tonight towards God. Cry them towards God. Tell him how she felt. A lament does not concern itself with a facade of being happy-clappy or insist on wearing rose-colored glasses. It's honest. It does real business with our grief and honestly assesses life as pain. Life is pain, as Wesley from Princess Bride accurately testified. I speak as one that knows grief. Without embellishment or exaggeration, I have known 17 years of financial month-to-month hardship, which, other than a handful of months, has always come with uncertainty of how we would eat. Every single month. When desperate for provision, working hard for a promotion, working 95 hours per week between three jobs, I was utterly exhausted, been discriminated against uh, by having a promotion I was about to be given, taken and given to somebody who fit the right demographic. I've endured a whole year of intense, daily, hourly assault on Kate's mind through demonic attack, 
and the attack of the peace of our home. I have sat beside a very dear loved one as she threw up charcoal the hospital made her swallow in order to vomit up the medications she had taken to end her life. I've had precious familial relationships and church family relationships broken and been betrayed, slandered, and falsely accused. I have watched my brother, with whom I did all of life, nearly die from cancer at age 21. I've recently learned that my dad cannot be cured of cancer, one who is a mentor and leader and friend and affectionate dad to me. I have felt the pain of shame that makes me feel like I will never be enough, can never work hard enough, never be smart enough, be spiritually mature enough, and never be faithful enough. The feeling that my family's circumstances must be because I can't hack it. I've been a middle schooler between the ages of everyone else around me and just longed for a friend and felt so lonely. I've gone a week without eating so that we could ration our food so that my wife and toddlers could eat. I felt the spiritual depression of resenting God for not helping. I felt the shame of being the needy one over and over and over again, the feelings of being a charity case. I have had work that I hate. I have had dreams and aspirations and longings go unfulfilled. I have, like Paul says, groaned in this body, longing to put on immortality and our heavenly dwelling. And some of you have experienced far more. Perhaps you hear of yourself in some of these, or perhaps yours are different. I appreciate the fact that we don't know much about the historical context of the psalm that we read, because it keeps it open-ended in its application to our lives. This is a psalm of feeling. Do you this morning feel the plight of the deer in verse 1? Are you panting from drought? Circumstances are making you feel dry and dehydrated. And though you want to thirst for God, you don't really feel like you thirst. You want to thirst. You thirst to thirst. Because you remember, like the psalmist in verse 4, that when you felt the most spiritually alive and worship was sweetest, oh, you felt alive. And you felt that no matter the trial, this relationship with the Almighty would carry you through it all. But the drought of your circumstances has sucked all the moisture out of your spiritual food, and you're desperate for joy. Every devotional time feels void of impact. Instead of the satisfying bread of life that we read about, it tastes like the dried crumbles, morsels of bread a dungeon prisoner would eat. Every act of gathering for worship feels outward only. Maybe you're still physically present here, but emotions and circumstances have you feeling far removed from the people of God. And God just feels distant. Like the psalmist in the land of Jordan and Hermon, far removed from Jerusalem and the tabernacle, it feels as though God has just left you alone. And your enemy, your thoughts, whisper to you, where is your God? 
If you were more faithful, he would be nearer to you. If you were more, more obedient, he would care more for you. It is at this point that the psalmist seeks to grapple with his own soul and preach truth to his own heart. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Why, when God has been your salvation, why, when God has so done so much good, why, when God has been patient, are you letting your soul be so downcast? And he exhorts his own heart, hope in God. Arise, my soul, arise. While we have seen that a biblical lament is honest and does real business with grief, it also is not a pity party. The intent of a lament is not just to grieve for the sake of grieving only. It does not allow a soul to wallow. You see, a biblical lament is hope-motivated. It does not always feel hope-filled. Sometimes we feel completely devoid of hope. But it is always hope-motivated. It always calls itself to not remain forever in mourning. Yes, there is a biblical principle for sackcloth and ashes, but there's also a biblical principle to remove the, the garments of mourning, to rise, to wash one's face, and to rejoice again. How long is appropriate to remain in one's sorrow? It depends on the person and the situation. And comforters, listen here, comforters should beware of rushing it. Give grace and space for the process. It must be primarily determined by the mourner. But mourners... One helpful diagnostic tool for the sufferer to determine when to rise and wash and live in joy is, again, is when the sufferer senses that his or her heart may be starting to harden towards God, to resent his influence in your life. When grief moves from sorrow over circumstances to a bitter heart towards God, it's time to preach truth. And call oneself to rise. It's time to recount his faithfulness. He is my salvation and my God. The psalmist commands his heart, hope in God. Oh, how many times I have been weeping and have forced myself through gritted teeth. Saying, God even if this circumstance is what you have for me the rest of my life, I will be happy in you. I will be happy in you. I will be happy in you. Though it can be cliched at this point, oh, how my soul has been helpfully reminded so many times that anything short of damnation is so far better than I deserve. He is my salvation and my God. 
And so we learn to pray with Habakkuk, who had given in to the temptation to accuse God. We learn, like him, when he's learned his lesson, to say, though the fig tree does not blossom, though circumstances do not change, nor fruit be on the vine, yet I will, I will rejoice in God. It was as MJ was grieving at Rancho that I told her to cry all the tears that she needed tonight. But in the morning, tomorrow, she needs to call to her heart to rise and hope in God. Rise to praise, MJ. Rise to serve and rise to joy. Depending on the circumstances, sometimes your night is contained in less than one 24-hour cycle like MJ's. Sometimes it's weeks. Sometimes it's months. But when the darkness of that nighttime season of life should near its end, rise up and declare that God's mercies are new every morning. But this process we know experientially is not neat or tidy, is it? Grief is messy. Most people believe that Psalm 42 and 43 are supposed to go together. And when taken together, you actually see the full cycle. There's a thrice repeated cycle of expressing grief followed by self-examination. Why are you downcast? And we are familiar with the way in Scripture. If, you've, if you're familiar with your Bibles, you're, you're familiar with the way the three represents completion in Scripture. In a very real way, until we reach glory, life is one long, complete experience of brokenness and pain. In one sense, it is all the world has to offer to us, apart from the withholding hand of God's generous grace. The tides of sorrows continue to come. And this is one of the ways that the Bible is so honest regarding our experience. Here in this psalm, we read of this man trying to capture his heart and root it, establish it on truth, but his heart has not yet responded. Have you been there? You know truth. You just wish your heart would feel the truth. The psalmist finds himself struggling again. The cycles of grief and depression are turmoiled waters with a riptide that pulls you in. As we see in verse 7, the waterfalls are still deafening and the waves are still unceasing. The enemy of our soul pursues our demise with circumstances that tempt us to reject God and doubt his faithfulness. And we, like the deer, we are desperate to wash our own scent off in the streams of water, lest our circumstances overtake us as a predator. And we're panting from the pursuit against our lives. We need refreshment. Here the psalmist says in verse 9, I have made you my rock, my foundation. Essentially, I have tried to build my life on faithfulness to you and dependence on you. Why have you left me alone? Why am I going through this? Those times when the, 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 all the cliches of comfort are left wanting. People tell you that if you faithfully give your tithe, God will pour out more blessing on you. 
And so you give, and then you remain hungry. Or you leave a job that will provide for your family because your conscience can no longer work for that company. And so in pursuit of God and faithfulness to him, you leave trusting him to provide, and yet he doesn't provide something better. The psalmist is in his second cycle. We try, when we go through grief, we realize that we are trying to bargain with God sometimes. God, this isn't the deal. I thought you rewarded obedience. Where are you? Why have you forgotten me? Times of sorrow reveal how legalistic of a relationship we still function with before God. We try to earn his favor, bargain with our faithfulness to compel and manipulate his blessing. And the psalmist knows that he's starting to accuse. And so he now completes the second cycle and seeks to put his circumstances into perspective. Why are you downcast? He is my salvation and my God. Hope in him who has proven himself faithful This hope, why? Why are you downcast? This hopeless inner turmoil does not jive with the experience of the forgiven. There is reason to hope. There is reason for joy. There is reason for thanksgiving and praise. This is one of the benefits of lament. The very act of continuing before the throne of grace with our sorrows, pleading for a change, is an expression of faith itself. See, even when it's not felt that God is good and kind, by bringing our complaints to him, our sorrows to him, we are communicating that we still Believe and trust that he is kind and generous and a loving father that loves to give good gifts to his children. When Albert Einstein declared that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, continuing to bring our pleas before God when it seems like his answer has been no and no and no and no and no, it feels like insanity. a lament and a widow-like disposition that keeps praying. By bringing a heartache continually to the Father is a refusal to get cynical towards the Father. It is an expression of faith that says that, that he is the one, he is the sovereign king who controls all things and can do something about it, and who is also a heavenly father who wants to do something about it. A biblical lament brings all of our heartaches to him, knowing that he can and wants to do something about it. Sometimes he gives us the answer to our requests on this earth. And sometimes he makes us wait until the earth is made new again. But either way, we can hope in our grief. 
because he is my salvation and my God. He has done gloriously and will continue. Ultimately, all of his promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Do not stop bringing your heartache before the Father. Keep crying to him even while you keep calling yourself to remember all of his expressed goodness in your life. He showers us with goodness and kindness. It is in the hardest seasons of my life that I've sought to to practice the most consistent thanksgiving. Oftentimes, while crying as I give thanks, my family has heard me pray through tears at the dinner table, thanking God for another provision as we sit to a very meager meal, which no one will leave truly full. When there's need, recount, recount his faithfulness. It is as we wrestle through hardship that God weans us from the loves and comforts of this world and woos us to himself. It is as we wrestle through hardship that God weans us from the loves and comforts of this world and woos us to himself. Just as diamonds are mined out of the darkest depths of the earth, so too our highest good and most endless joy will emerge out of our darkest afflictions. Suffering is the ultimate magnetism. Jesus said that the cares of this life often choke out the seeds of faith. But many are the testimonies of saints that the cares, the hardships, are the things that made them cling more closely to Christ. What are the cares and sorrows of your life going to do? Are they going to choke out the faith, or are they going to drive you to the Father? It's the great magnetism. It either attracts or repels. So what is the hope in your affliction that the psalmist cyclically reminds himself of. It's a hope in God. Hear this, the hope is God. It is not a change of circumstances. I don't need to hear that God will provide food for my family. Many are the Christians that have died of starvation. I don't need to hear that it's just a passing season. I need to hear that God is worth it no matter what. That Jesus is better. The hope is God. He satisfies every hunger and longing. You don't need to hear that God will heal in this life. Though many times he does. Many are the faithful Christians that have suffered physically their entire earthly lives. You need to hear that Jesus brings healing in his wings and your life will be perfect and painless and abundant in his presence. Hope in God, not in the things he can do for you on this earth. He is my salvation and my God. It is through his salvation that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We can be with Paul, those who are sorrowful yet always rejoicing. We are not alone in our suffering. 
It is our Savior who has suffered with us. He is the one who had the same accusing voices hurled in his direction. Jesus hung on the cross in agony, and others looked on and mocked and said, He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now. There, Jesus' enemies were accusing, saying, Surely if you were truly his son, he would not let you endure such misery. Where is your God? It was while he was hanging by nails through his wrist that Jesus expressed those familiar words that we often wrongly own as our own, but were actually true for him in that moment. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forgotten me? While we, as his people, have the promise that he will never leave or forsake us, that is made possible because he was forsaken. He is the only child of God who has ever or will ever be forsaken. Jesus learned the full pain of obedience through what he suffered. And as such, he is a patient and merciful high priest who sympathizes with our sorrows and weaknesses and struggles and pain. While we often describe our sorrows as feeling heavy, it is, however, our sorrows and sufferings that bear for us an eternal weight, a heaviness of glory, of value and reward, compared to which all our sorrows will be seen on that day as light. And the things that we're tempted to think will never end will be seen on that day as momentary. These light and momentary afflictions are not worth comparing to the weighty eternal glory. Hope in God, your salvation and your God. For he who did not spare his own son but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not? He who gave us the perfection of beauty, Jesus himself, how will he not graciously with him give us all things? Jesus himself. So that you could be his son or daughter. He who gave up the perfection of beauty, Jesus himself, so that you could be his son or daughter, how could we think anything other than the best plans and purposes of God in our lives? If we fixate our minds on the wonders of salvation, if we fixate our minds, if we preach the gospel to ourselves, all sources of discouragement become a sort of source of kind of confusion. We have everything in Christ, everything. So why are you downcast, oh my soul? Hoping God. We have the freedom to grieve with hope. We have the freedom to give full vent to our sorrows, but then to rise, to wash off our faces, and to call our souls to arise. Arise, my soul, arise. And while the sources of grief remain painful, remember that it was Jesus' humiliation. Remember the pattern of Jesus. It was Jesus' humiliation that ultimately bestows on him the exaltation of name above all other names. Lamb of God. It is the song of worthy is the lamb that was slain. 
that suffered. Worthy is the Lamb that suffered for the salvation of His people that will be sung in worship for all eternity. In the same way, when we seek to have a Hebrews 11-like hope in the promised land of heaven, the better country to come, the joy set before us, that we seek to suffer with joy, knowing that it is storing up for us a crown of glory. It is as we set our sights on the reward to come and living as his people and he as our God, the fountain of all life and goodness and beauty that gives meaning to our sorrows, our laments. This is, this is a piece of what is meant to share in Christ's suffering. By entering into it, we also share in his inheritance. We are co-heirs. It is on that day that he will wipe every tear from our eyes and pain and sorrow and want will be no more. He is our Savior and our God. But in the present, not yet reality in which we live, we have not yet reached the reward. We are like Jesus, who is known as a man of sorrows and who was acquainted with grief. And we must look to the we must look to the not yet of the coming promised inheritance made possible through his salvation. But we also seek God's presence now where he dwells in the already of the already not yet realities of our inheritance. We are still in the in the in the already. Note the intensity with which the psalmist wants to be with God's people in corporate worship. I would go with the throng, the group, the multitude, and lead, the, lead them in procession to the house of God with glad, glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. This is what he was made for, and he knows it. Worship, and worship with God's people. He wants to be at the front of it. He wants to be at the center of it. He wants to be in the household of God, the temple. Oh, beloved, we as the church are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the bride of Christ, the household of God. Reject our culture's hatred and skepticism of the church. This is the dearest place on earth right here. The place where God's people gather for the purpose of worshiping him and strengthening each other is the closest thing to heaven we can get on this, on this earth. The scriptures likes to call where God's presence dwells the perfection of beauty. And as his church, we are where he dwells. And we can be tempted to look at all the flaws. But God looks at us and he says, perfection of beauty. Come, join the throng in worship. Do not neglect to meet together and worship together as is the too often habit of so many American Christians. But press in all the more. Go with God's people for the nourishment of your soul. He who is the water of life that quenches 
thirst so that you may never thirst again has unified himself to his people. He and we are inseparably linked. The thirst-quenching blessing brought by the wellspring is brought to us through his people. Those who retreat from the gathered assembly of believers retreat from blessing and into despair. There is no hope in isolation. And so keep bringing your sorrows before God as a humble statement of where you place your faith and hope. God inspired this psalm because he's not afraid and doesn't recoil from your sorrows and your complaints and your expressions of grief. He wants to be the place you bring your heartache. Don't bring your grief to alcohol or chocolate or work or binge watching. Bring it to Yahweh, your Father, and keep bringing your sorrows and your joys into the household of God so that the people of God can seek to be a balm for your soul. Don't retreat. Take the time that you need to to grieve and express that grief to God. And then, before your heart grows cynical towards him, call your heart to arise and hope in God. If you have questions regarding suffering and hardship, I'd be happy to talk afterwards or some other time. I may not have all the answers, but we can at least cry together. And hopefully, apply some God-given hope to our circumstances. And if you have sorrows, Christopher, if you wouldn't mind uh, coming up. Uh, If you have sorrows and laments that you would like to pray uh, with others regarding, uh, we already had a sampling of this already this morning. um, But let's, let's press in all the more to God's people. If you have sorrows and laments that you would like to pray with others regarding, um, why don't we just take a few minutes. If, if, if you have sorrows that you'd like, prayer for others to come alongside you in. If you can just do what we've already done, just go ahead and slip your hand up and we'll gather around and we'll just take a few minutes to pray.